0: From the Three Story Method Podcast Network.
1: This is the Serial Fiction Show.
0: I'm Christine Daigle.
1: And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. This is a companion podcast to the Reader's Serial Fiction Show. If you haven't listened to today's story, we'd encourage you to pause and go listen to Episode 4 of the Companion Podcast first. We can only play half the episode, so if you like what you hear, check out the full episode free on Vella. A link to the podcast and the Vella episode are in the show notes. So Christine, how's your writing week been?
0: It's been going well. I've been making steady progress with my serials, with both of them. Uh, We're a few weeks away from the Vella launch as we're recording, and we just got the exciting news that now you can turn your serials into a book without pulling them from Vella. As long as the last episode's been up for 30 days. So that's exciting news.
1: That is really exciting news. I definitely think that that will entice more people into using this platform because not only can you approach uh, writing fiction with this sort of instantaneous feedback, but now you can even have a finalized product after it.
0: Yeah, it's great. And yeah, three. I think we're about three weeks away, which so you know, other projects have just kind of taken a back burner for now, so I can make sure I have a stockpile of those Vela episodes. How about you? How's your writing been going? For
1: Vela, it has been in a direction, <laughs> which is, is positive. You know, of course, I, I always would love for things to be faster, but I've got some other projects that I wanted to wrap up. So we're moving along, and I'm really happy with what we have so far. So it's been a really fun experience because I have been co writing with someone else, and our method. There is he does all the first drafting and then I come in and do the edits. And this one we're doing AB, so I have Jeff Elkins doing one episode and then I'm first drafting the next, and then we kind of come back through and edit. And that has been really fun to just first draft again. I've
0: missed it. Yeah, I love that. That's great. I've I've done both. I've done the first drafting and the AB method method. And I think it's nice to change it up a bit because you can get kind of sick of just either doing a first draft or a revision. And yeah, that sounds like a great process.
1: I think, too, because we will kind of do the A, B, and we'll read what the previous one has written, and it gives us a feel to the character's voice, which is, like, the most important thing for Jeff, and it kind of lets us both express this character and kind of adapt it in our our kind of hybrid way, Uh, and that has been a really fun experience because it's been a learning experience for me on character voice because there's nothing like working with the dialogue doctor for that.
0: (laughs) I bet not. Are you writing a single point of view then? Just one voice? Or are you writing multiple characters? So is the A, B one character voice? Or are you going back and forth between?
1: It is one. We're we, we are following on the shoulders of one main character.
0: And are you still doing just the dialogue only draft right now or are you filling in?
1: We So the first time through, we do the dialogue only. But then before we do edits together, uh, like I've gone through, it like I think, one of the episodes like three times just to kind of flesh it out and then i'm done and i move on but i consider all of that first drafting even though that's a lie but to me it is so yeah i we do dialogue only and then i definitely come back and fill in the the other pieces
0: amazing i can't wait to see the results of that
1: process oh it's been i it's been fun i can't wait for you to see it
0: yay me neither i want to see it sooner rather than later well you'll get it when you get it cool
1: all right. You ready? You ready to dive right into this?
0: Yeah, let's talk to our author. All right. So as a starting off point, we've looked at the scene using some of the basics from three story method. You don't need to be familiar with three story method. But if you want to learn more, the link is in the show notes.
1: Cool. So we are here, Tyler Piper, and we are going to discuss your scene uh, that you submitted for the first episode. Now, Highly recommend for those that are listening to read the whole scene because we are going to be in spoiler field for the end of it. Uh, we could only play the half of the clip for the previous episode, so read the whole thing. But no, we I, I loved the scene. It was so so fun to read, and it was really interesting because Christine and I kind of came from it with different perspectives, and we were looking at it with the three story method um, ah, approach. Okay, so we have a, a couple of uh, different thoughts there that we would like to explore, but I think of all we like to talk about armature or like your theme or your statement and i guess what we really noticed was you were talking in broad strokes about like a found family or like having a better chance to survive together is this uh something that you plan on exploring a little bit more with this sort of like survival found family mentality
2: yeah absolutely yeah that's going to be a big theme in this whole serial you know both i guess newfound family and old family too right so uh, a lot, as you can kind of see, a lot of time has passed that uh, Hannah doesn't really remember what what happened. She's kind of figuring all that stuff out and trying to answer questions. Uh, so that's going to be a big driver, a big theme driver of the book: is who who was I? Who am I now? Um, where is my old family? And you know, who are these new people that I'm meeting, and what are their intentions?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of times in, in zombie literature, uh, there's an exploration of what it means to be human, or you know what can the human race survive and recover from? Is that something you consciously think about when you're writing this kind of work?
2: Yeah, I mean, I say generally, definitely, and uh, in this uh, serial specifically, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, as you see from the spoiler, you know, she she basically was a zombie and she's been cured and brought back. I say cured in, in quotes, um, uh, you know, because there's some science behind it. So they've used that term, but it's uh, it's a virus. So there's a little more to that that you'll find out later. But yeah, so.
0: She's a zombie
2: in remission. Yeah, she's a zombie <laughs> in remission. So there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. You know? So as far as exploration of being human, now it's exploration of uh, you know, what, what did I do? <laughs> what did I do? And, and how much do I remember? And how did this happen? And where did the missing time go? And uh, I guess, you know, again, I don't know that I want to go too far in, but well, I guess it wouldn't spoil too much to say, do I deserve to be here now after all this? I mean, what I've done and what's transpired, even if it was no fault of my own, who am I now? And, and how do I move forward from this? And of course, how long do I survive? So
1: So this was actually where we started to, in terms of the three-story method, we were looking at this scene in particular. When we talk about scene, usually there is your protagonist is moving the action along and they're making the choices and the decisions. But it was really interesting reading this because I know that Hannah is your ultimate protagonist of the entire story. You can tell that because they're the ones that like the focus point is on. But interesting enough, she's not the one making the decisions in the scene. And that was really interesting because it ultimately like she's waking up. We're, we're following her as she's in this like pseudo passive state trying to recognize what's happening. So when we were looking at it in three story method, I proposed to Christine that the characters Sarah and Ian were almost the protagonists of the scene, whereas Hannah was your, your main character. And then we almost like we could kind of see these different pieces about it. I'm curious if Sarah and Ian will play a bigger part in the series. That's my first question to you.
2: Yeah, and I don't want to spoil too much with the answer. Um, I will say that, yeah, they're they're definitely important. And I see exactly what you're saying. So, yeah, she is waking up. She is out of it. She's very weak, obviously. So I can see where what you're saying from a a three-story method perspective, they're kind of driving things forward, right? She has to follow them she's a little more of a passive role in this episode simply because of her physical condition. So you'll kind of see, I don't think it's spoiling to say you'll see a little bit of a passing the torch. She's going to kind of come into her own as characters do and develop and sort of start to take charge a little more as she figures out what's going on and and protag some more. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah, for this scene, it was kind of almost necessity that, that Sarah and Ian uh, drive that a little bit because even physically, like they're helping her over to where she needs to be because she can't really, walk that well yet and all that. So yeah.
0: Yeah. It was kind of as, as the overarching protagonist, I mean, her conflict is she's getting needles stuck in her and she doesn't know where she is and she doesn't know what's going on and she doesn't know if these people are going to hurt or help her. So I, I mean, I guess she does have a choice on when she can get up on those wobbly legs of whether she's going to to run or to trust these people. So she does stay, which leads to to the consequence of finding out what happened to her, which is also mm-hmm. an excellent cliffhanger. So yeah, she's had a big revelation at the end of this scene. She's got information that has just totally changed her worldview in 1,200 words. So I just thought that Mm was really well done. But uh, yeah, from a scene perspective too, it was looking at Sarah and Ian, uh, their conflict is what do we do when this zombie slash human girl now is waking up. So yeah, JP had noticed that. So I don't want to steal any of his thunder or take credit. So you can talk more about that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fine, I will. Yeah, I guess. So from their perspective, their conflict is, you know, this girl is starting to wake up after they give her the first dose. And then it seemed like you were having a choice moment of to give her the second dose or not. And of course, the questions that populate in my head are, are if by giving her a second dose, are you risking her like dying or going into some sort of super mode? Or are you just resources? But Either way, you know, the choice seems to be, do we give her the second dose? Or do we allow her to wake up? And then I, I noted, instead of a consequence, a cliffhanger, which in the first episode of this Serial Fiction podcast, uh, Jay was talking about with serials, the ending may actually be a cliffhanger as opposed to a consequence. And that was that big reveal you had at the end. But definitely like both of these work. And it was just really fun to kind of pick it apart on a scene perspective. What, uh, what do you do when you craft a scene? Uh, what do you think about?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess exactly what you're saying. So I don't know that I consciously follow. I, a lot of it is just maybe, uh, you know, innate things that I do from just reading or whatever, and you get used to crafting a scene a certain way. Um, but the way I'll look at it, it's kind of the same way. You, you want to basically end it with some kind of revelation or a cliffhanger. So something of note should happen in each scene. There shouldn't be really, ideally, any pointless scenes of, oh, this was just some banter, and it didn't really mean anything. I think something should come of each scene. And almost that's kind of what I'm finding with the serial writing, um, just kind of diving right into it is just maybe it's even more important with this, right? Because every scene counts and, you know, it's serialized. You want to drive the reader from one scene to the next. So you want to make sure something really concrete happens in each one. Something that's going to raise a question or answer a question, but then raise another one or, you know, something or, uh, you know, up the stakes or something like that. So I'm really trying to craft it that way. Um, every scene matters, right? So
0: Yeah, it sure does. So you said, uh, did you say that you outline or pants or you kind of plant? Uh,
2: what would you call it? Plants? Planting. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I never heard that. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Yeah, that's, I guess that's probably what I do. You know, in, in the beginning, when I first started writing, I would, I would almost exclusively pants. Um, and then I did a collaboration a few years into when I was writing. And that kind of, it was, it was interesting um, with a guy named Bobby Adair. We did a series called The Last Survivors. So we started out sort of pantsing, but as we got along, figured out we really need to firm things up. So by the end of the six book series, we had switched almost entirely to plotting and we would used the Trello app. So we'd plot everything out and, you know, we had a lot of multiple characters and storylines. So everything was plotted out. Um, Now I'm kind of a hybrid. So I'll usually have the ending in mind for sure. I'll have some mile markers in mind. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll almost kind of, with all that, you know, in place in my head, I'll start pantsing along. And then I'll even stop and I'll I'll just kind of like do a couple sentences for a lot of the chapters coming up to the end. Like I'll do that sometimes, you know, and occasionally I'll get, I'll get lost and have to reroute because as you get into things, you know, sometimes things change like, okay, I plotted this way, but you know, that doesn't always work and you have to change things around a little bit. So yeah, I guess I'm a planter. (laughs) So yeah. So I kind of, it's kind of a combo. I've got the story in my head and I definitely do take some notes and I usually have the ending in mind that I'm driving toward. And like the overall theme and kind of character arc, those are already in my head for the most part, so.
0: Nice. So you said you used Trello before. How about Solo? Do you have software that you use to kind of help keep everything together or are you just using a Word doc or how
2: do you go? Yeah, along? I'm mostly, um, well, Trello, I do use by myself sometimes. Um, I guess it depends. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I read a blog by a guy, Chuck Wendig. You know that author? I don't know if you heard of him. Yeah, he's got a, a cool blog called Terrible Minds, but he'll always say that, um, which I find is really true, like each book is its own animal, right? It's like, I don't, I don't think I've written one project the exact same way. Maybe I'm an outlier in that sense, but it's like each one is a little different, right? So sometimes I'll be like, oh, Trello's working great for what I'm working on. And then other times, you know, I'll do like what I said, I'll just pants for a while, and then I'll throw things in another Word doc. Um, I do use Scrivener sometimes. I used to use that for formatting too. Um, now I've switched over to Vellum. So I use that for, for formatting now. It's, Vellum's amazing. Um, So, yeah, primarily I work in Word um, and then my outlining type of stuff will either be in another Word document or sometimes Trello, I guess, just depending on the project or my mood or whatever. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Evolving. Yeah.
1: So I know we kind of discussed this a little bit earlier when you were talking about how this story came to be, but what made you decide to go with a serial for this story?
2: Uh, I guess like exactly what I've saying before, where this was uh, originally a short story that I wrote. So it's just supposed to be a one-off. And then I had readers, it was in the anthology. So I had readers asking what happens next. And I kind of revisited it and I'd always planned to do more with it. And I said, this just definitely seems like it's a real time, you know, especially with the first person. This is something I could just literally spring off and, and go with it. And it could be a story that you know, for serials, I know, you know a lot of serials can be, they can go on for a long time. And I think the world here, which people will see more, has enough meat to it where a lot of things could happen. So I could extend this, you know, maybe indefinitely if I wanted to, if it, if it went well and people were enjoying it. Uh, so it just felt ripe for a serial. Uh, and then I know a lot of uh, serial readers from what I've heard are um, like young adult stuff. And this is the protagonist is a, a teenage girl. So I said, well, this is this is kind of perfect. Like it just it fit. It was the first thing I thought of when I heard about Kindle Vella. I said, this could be a project that could really work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I do think that it may be a bit of a younger readership as well. Uh, so, as we're recording this, we're a few weeks away from the Vela launch. How many episodes are you hoping to have ready to go by launch time?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I've got a, I'm working on episode 17 right now. <laughs> so, I've got, um, I'm almost looking at it as seasons or books, because I guess you can, you know, there's new developments with Vela all the time, but I guess now they're saying that they just said that you can. I think you talked about it actually. You can post it as a Kindle book after Vela, like 30 days after Vela or something. So I'm looking at it as seasons for Vela, which will translate to books in Kindle. Um, So this particular season um, is feeling like it's going to be about 30-ish episodes, maybe a little more. Um, And then, you know, again, I have other seasons planned in my head, so it could go a lot longer.
1: And then with that, you are also uh, using an editor for these as well?
2: Yep. Yep. So I've got a, Yeah, I've got, um, let's see, I got about 11 of them edited so far. And this is where the process is different from a novel, right? It's because it's serialized and they're going to be released. I think I'm going to go, again, we're a few weeks away from Go Live. So to your question, Christine, I'm trying to figure out how many I'll have ready, how many I want to put up there for the readers when they jump in, and then what I want to do for schedule. But right now I'm thinking I'll probably put five or so um, up there for Go Live, and then I might do a a twice a week schedule. Um, And I should be able to meet that, no problem, because I've got a pretty good head start on it. But I do want to, um, like we were talking about before, you know, if the readers do a lot of, um, you know, if they do allow comments or, you know, I know they're going to allow the thumbs up and stuff like that. Depending on interaction, that could change, you know, some of what the story how it goes. So I'm interested. I almost don't want to finish the whole thing before it goes live because that feedback is kind of an important part of what this is, you know. So I'd really like to check that out. and Maybe that'll influence the work, which would be really cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Here's an odd question, and I may cut this later, but. Today, I was trying to figure out keywords for this Vela thing. Do you think they're going to be similar to the other Amazon keywords like uh, for Kindle? Or do you think it's just going to be on its own? How are you going about that?
2: Yeah. I'm, I, so I guess I'm going to kind of mirror the Kindle thing with the keywords. Uh, I did notice with the categories, it looks like they don't have... and I might be mistaken. I don't think I saw a horror in there. Did you see they that? Don't.
0: No, I'm yeah. a, a horror serial as well. So I put it under... I think paranormal and fantasy or something. Yeah. No category.
2: I know everything's a guessing game, which is, which is kind of, it's a little vague, but it's very exciting in a way too. <laughs> so, so I noticed like certain categories aren't there. Like they don't have a post-apoc. So they have science fiction, they have dystopian and they have young adult, which is probably, so that was a discussion I had with another author buddy this morning was, um, you know, which one of those do I choose? Right. It's because this story, to, this particular serial to me could be sci-fi, uh, young adult or dystopian. And I can only choose two. So whatever I don't choose, I'll probably use as a keyword, and then right now my thinking is I'm going to mirror some of the keywords that I use for Kindle books. But again, you know, when the floodgates open and we look around, we can see what everyone's doing and what people are reading, and say, oh, maybe this should be over here. So
0: yeah, I, I think, think we'll get the feel for it on the fly adjustments for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it almost feels like um, not going to change go it, but it feels like the Wild West days of Kindle. You know, like back in I, I started writing in 2012 for Kindle, so I kind of missed what they call the Gold Rush days or whatever by a little bit but it was still early days um and this kind of has that vibe to me because I, I used to go on the k boards the writer's cafe um and there was a lot of writers there including hugh Howie back then um so i don't really i'm not a huge participant on message boards or anything but i went back there a few months ago when they started talking about vela and i noticed hugh Howie was back on there talking about he's going to be writing serials so it's just everything kind of feels very circular like it feels like again it's a brand new platform it's very exciting you know we don't know what's going to happen and it's a cool thing to be a part of on the ground floor. So I'm excited for it.
0: Yeah. I'm very cautiously optimistic that it's going to go well for the early adopters. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: For any author who is looking to start doing serials or may be like very early on their author journey, what advice do you have for them?
2: Well, they always say, write what you know, right? That's always, (laughs) so in this particular case, I'm taking that very literally because I'm, I'm, you know, using a lot of places and locations that I I know, but, but yeah, I, I would write something that you're passionate about versus trying to write to market or, you know, I know uh, Chris Fox has the book, "Write to Market, which is really good, which basically says to find that intersect of things you're passionate about uh, versus things that people want to read, right? And, and things that people will pick up. So yeah, I think there's that intersect. So don't, don't write something that, you know, oh, everyone else is writing this, so I'm going to write that. Or I see a lot of this type of story out there, so I'm going to write that. You know, write something that you're passionate about, and I think that'll shine through.
0: Excellent. Okay. Oh. Thank you well, so thank much you. for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited for this whole experiment, <laughs> the grand experiment.
0: Our thanks today to T.W. Piperbrook for letting us break down their episode.
1: Finally, we want to thank you for listening to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you'd like to leave an Apple Podcast review, we read all of them and use your suggestions. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, and we'll see you next time with another Serial Fiction episode.
0: And, and that's, that's a wrap. wrap. I was like, what was that sound effect? I don't know. It was know. almost like a like laser beam.
2: <laughs>
0: now do Chewbacca. <laughs>